Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that relishes all sorts of information and experiences in the world of motoring and transport. I'm David Brown and in this program we look at news stories from around the world including the UN Secretary General urges transport ministers to act on climate change. We hear from Brent Davidson about his travels in Europe to test a new Audi. We get first impressions of driving the new Nissan Navara Ute. And in our panel discussion with Errol Smith and Brian Smith, we take a light-hearted look at stories, including what to do with abandoned railway stations once used by Sir Winston Churchill. Have a question or a comment? Send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. Now, let's get the program going. First, the news. UN Secretary-General Ban Ki-moon has urged the world's transport ministers to accelerate efforts to combat climate change and find new green solutions. He was speaking in a video message released ahead of the annual meeting of transport ministers during their global summit in the German city of Leipzig. It is time to reshape the world's transport systems for a cleaner, safer and more sustainable future, he said. Ban called sustainable transport a common thread linking the upcoming UN summit in September in New York and the climate change conference in Paris in December. In New York, world leaders will define a post-2015 development agenda. In Paris, governments will seek to agree on concrete actions to limit the effects of global warming. Worldwide road deaths have continued to fall, according to the latest data compiled for IRTAD, the International Road Traffic and Accident Database, which is the permanent working group on road safety at the International Transport Forum. But while some countries are doing well, there are strong disparities between nations. The 2014 provisional data show that 15 of the 28 IRTAD member countries for which figures are available managed to reduce the number of road deaths, while eight countries saw an increase. For the other countries, there was no significant change. The range was between 21% fewer road deaths and a 16% increase. In terms of deaths per vehicle kilometres of travel, Australia is in the middle of the range of all countries, with the worst nations being Korea and the Czech Republic. An investigation using 20 years of crash data has shown a 27.4% drop in casualty crashes on regional roads in South Australia, where the speed limit was reduced from 110 km an hour to 100. The findings were released in a report by the Centre for Automotive Safety Research at the University of Adelaide, using 10 years of crash data both before and after 2003 when the speed limit changed. In July 2003, the speed limit on 1,100 kilometres of rural arterial roads in South Australia was reduced from 110 to 100 kilometres an hour. Early analysis had suggested that there was a 20% reduction in casualty crashes, but now this is much closer to 30%. Regardless of the cause of a crash, a reduction in speed significantly reduces its severity. Ford has said it will allow other companies to use its proprietary technology for electric vehicles, for a fee, to help accelerate the development of these types of cars. 
Among the hundreds of patents available to any interested automakers willing to pay include technology on electric vehicle braking systems and battery charging. Ford also said it will hire 200 engineers for electrified vehicles this year and that the team would move into a newly dedicated Ford Engineering Laboratories facility in Dearborn. Ford said it has more than 650 electrified vehicle patents and about 1,000 pending patent applications on electrified vehicle technologies. Last year, Ford filed more than 400 patents dedicated to electrified vehicle technologies, accounting for more than 20% of the patents Ford filed in 2014. The approach is a similar move to that undertaken by Tesla last year. After its six months of operation, Project engineers in the Netherlands have announced that the world's first solar-powered bicycle path has generated more energy than expected. Since its installation in November 2014, the 70-metre-long path in Cromany, a town northwest of Amsterdam, has produced 3,000 kilowatt-hours of electricity, equivalent to the annual use by a single-person household. The solar panels are connected to smart meters, which optimise their output and feed the electricity to street lighting or into the grid. The Solar Road Pilot Project comprises a road surface that was constructed from cheap mass-produced solar panels sandwiched between layers of glass, silicon rubber and concrete. The research group has spent the last five years developing the technology, which has been ridden over by more than 150,000 cyclists so far. Train signals warn drivers of potential danger, but rarely do they have to warn them about chips. But a project is underway in Fremantle to install an early warning system to warn the train network when ships come too close to the rail bridge. Transport Minister Dean Nalder said the work followed a spate of incidents involving ships at Fremantle Port over the years. Most recently, in August 2014, Strong currents caused a container ship to break its mooring and crash into the Fremantle Rail Bridge. The bridge, built in 1964 from steel and concrete, was closed for 12 days during inspections by structural engineers. In May 2011, the bridge was hit by a refuelling barge. Installation is underway now and will be completed in September 2016. And that has been the news. Well, most weeks we manage to catch up with Brent Davidson from the Newcastle Herald and the Illawarra Mercury. He's just been overseas, lucky devil, and uh, on a car launch. But just before we speak to him about that, uh, Brent, I want to ask to talk about the Suzuki Solario, a little micro car. We talked about the fact that micro cars numbers have been declining and we felt it might have been a bit to do with the fact that it's not that much more expensive to go to a bigger car. But I was talking to Nissan the other day and they said one of the reasons was the price of petrol. It's been low and so people don't see the need to go to a smaller car. A fair reflection, I think. Well, David, I think you're right. It is a fair reflection and I seem to remember an anecdotal story uh, about uh, truck sales in the States, pickup trucks uh, a few years ago um, when when the world was really from the global financial crisis uh, petrol prices shot up everywhere. Um, when they started to drop in the States, truck sales picked up. 
Oh, okay. So, you know, um, look, it could be that a, a few cents a litre makes a, a big difference. Um, whether it's in our minds or our hip pockets, I'm not sure. But, yeah, look, I'll, I'll take that as a valid argument. Yeah, you would reflect, too, on diesel sales for the same reason. Well, yes. Um, diesel sales are just sort of rolling along in a fairly ordinary way at the moment and, and I guess it's because uh, yes petrol is cheap and uh, diesel is actually a little more expensive from time to time uh, the best you get is, is parity I think so yeah look I, I, I like that uh, I like, I like I the notion of that argument mm, yeah I think it's rather good but talking uh, away from the very smallest cheap runabouts on the market you've done a little bit of touring yourself for something a little bit more exotic. Well, I have. Uh, yes, I was very, very fortunate to be invited to uh, drive Audi's new Q7 in Switzerland at the international launch last week. Um, look, this is an impressive car. The first Q7, the one we have now, is an impressive car. Uh, if I can bend the Queen's English, this is even more impressive. <laughs> let me tell you why once you stop laughing let me tell you why um, they've pulled as much as 325 kilos and that's, you're hearing that right 325 kilos out of the car up to so you know it, it, look, it's still impressive it, pull, pulling 37.5 kilos out of the car is, is impressive so to multiply that by a factor of 9 or 10 is, uh, is really something worth noting um, they've put a whole bunch of electronic systems in the car even one that stops you inadvertently opening the door into the path of a cyclist oh I love it yeah Absolutely. Um, the car is sharp. It, uh, it's a little weeny bit smaller, a few millimetres longer, a few, uh, shorter, a few millimetres narrower. Um, it, it looks more like a sporty station wagon than a, a, an overt SUV. Um, See, I always thought the old ones looked a bit bulky. Yeah, not anymore. Not anymore. No. This is, this is a thorough Jenny Craig, let me tell you, and it, it <laughs> looks sharp. It really looks sharp. Well, the whole use of aluminium and things through the car? Lots and lots and lots of aluminium. Um, everywhere, all through the body panels, the suspension, um, the engine, all sorts of things. The engine, let me tell you, um, getting to that, we will get only one engine to start with. It's a 3-litre turbocharged uh, diesel V6 uh, with 200 kilowatts and 600 newton metres of torque. Uh, there may be a one, uh, sorry, a uh, 160 kilowatt version of that engine a little way down the track, and Audi in Australia will be looking at uh, for probably mm, 2017 launch in Australia the um, the uh, plug-in hybrid diesel. With, this will actually be the performance car: 275 kilowatts, 700 newton meters. Yeah, it's using hybrid or electric engine for its acceleration abilities or its power abilities as much as its economy. Exactly. But get this, fuel, fuel consumption on the hybrid, when it eventually gets here, 1.7 litres per 100 compared to about 5.6 litres for the turbo diesel. Yeah, that's if you do short enough trips to keep using the, the electric, electric power. Yeah. But, hey, look, they're, they're good numbers regardless. Yeah. Um, so, well, look... It's a big people mover, isn't it? Well, it is. And, and that, speaking about people movers, there's the other thing. We will not oh, get... Oh, sorry, SUV, it, I should say. Well, said. people mover, you're actually right. The slip of the tongue is almost correct because we will get the seven-seater version only. Okay. No, no five-seater. Brent, you're, you're a lucky man, but well-deserved. Thank you very much for your time. David, it's always my pleasure. 
And that's Brent Davidson from the Newcastle Herald and the Illawarra Mercury talking a little bit about the new Audi Q7 and also some travelling that he has done. And you can hear a longer interview by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au. Overdrive. For more information and past programs, go to drivenmedia.com.au. Nissan's television ad about their new Navara Ute will feature some tradesmen in a somewhat comical situation, showing how the vehicle can cope with really tough conditions. But Nissan will be aiming at a range of market segments with their new car, including families. Comfort is becoming an important feature in this segment and the new Navara tackles that head on. Now I've been driving it on some uh, urban roads, some country roads and even some dirt roads as well as has Paul Morell from practicalmotoring.com.au. Let's uh, have a chat about what we think. Uh, Paul, it, uh, it's uh, clearly a case of um, uh, going for a wide range of markets, isn't it? It certainly is, David. Uh, like most manufacturers in this category now, they've recognised that crew cab utes are a, quite a sensible family vehicle as well as being a tradesman's vehicle or a work vehicle. And they're aiming at, if you like, they're aiming at making these vehicles uh, a workaday vehicle during the week and they're making it look like a, you know, a fun thing to play with on the weekend and on top of that, you know, carting the family backwards and forwards. So, mm. yeah, they're really optimistically going for a different part of the market. 27 models they're going to bring out of the Navara. They've only released the dual cab ones at the moment. Uh, they'll bring the, the other king cabs and uh, the normal uh, single cab uh, vehicles onto the market around September or October, I believe, will be the time. Uh, but certainly the dual cabs, that's one that is particularly and obviously aimed at the family with five-seat capacity plus a bit of a ute out the back. Exactly. Um, I mean, a number of years ago, you probably wouldn't have considered a crew cab for a family vehicle because they were a little, they were a little agricultural, they were a little uncomfortable. Um, they were always practical, of course, as you say, five seats and mm. a ute out the back. But now it's reached the point, I mean, the rear seats, for example, have a little bit of a back angle so you're not sitting upright. Um, mm. They work very well indeed, and Nissan, of course, you know, has has a range of, of specification levels. So it's got the DX, which is the entry level, the RX, which is in the middle, the ST, which is sort of heading towards the top, and then the the all bells and whistles STX. Mm. Yeah, uh, uh, one of the. Uh uh, things about it, of course, yes, it, it can carry the family and, of course, uh, the tools during the week and not the family, but uh, then on the weekend, the, the extended uh, group of people, bicycles, surfboards, fishing gear or camping equipment might all go in the back. Now, one of the things that they've done for comfort, uh, well, if you're, you know, a good ride and, and a little bit more comfort is have in the back, unlike the trend of most of their competitors, they've gone for a, a coil spring rear suspension five link it's uh, it's a major step really isn't it it is a very major step and uh, david i have to give credit to our technical editor at practicalmotoring.com.au robert pepper for sounding a lot more knowledgeable than i really am when it comes to these <laughs> things uh, yes the coil springs are a really interesting change most manufacturers have stuck with leaf springs um, because they're cheaper they're perceived as being rugged and, and unbreakable but the reality is in fact 
for most manufacturers, the reason they've stuck with leaf springs is um, for tax purposes in somewhere like Thailand, where they actually, you know, they get a they get a tax benefit in Thailand, uh, uh-huh. and therefore the load carrying perception of the of the coil spring being worse or not as not equal to the leaf spring is in fact not right. Hmm. Yeah, the 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 old leaf spring was the you know good old solid you know the you know, thing that uh, you always associated with truck like carrying capacity. Whereas the coil spring was, I, I think, better, and I think it makes it smoother on the uh, the bitumen. There's no question of that. But I always also thought the coil suspension really came into its own on the dirt roads. We took a, a range of dual cab vehicles over graded dirt roads. Some were heavily rutted, and on little used bush roads, not the most extreme conditions. But I found the vehicle comfortable and easy to drive, even in those circumstances. I certainly the same thing occurred to me. Um, I've noticed with some of these vehicles, particularly ones with leaf springs, um, they'll lose traction at the rear end quite quickly and, and without much provocation. Um, but I found the, the coil-springed rear end, and remembering this is only in the dual cab, they've maintained and retained leaf springs in the single cab. So mm. what we're saying now only applies to the dual cab. But yeah, there are a whole lot of reasons why, why coil springs are better. I mean, they were fantastic. Leaf springs were fantastic in your, your cheap box trailer. Uh, because you didn't need to didn't need to locate things and the shock absorber didn't need to work all that sort of stuff, but now what we find is that you know leaf springs for example do not they just don't locate the rear axle very well in relation to the chassis, um, you know and then you have to do, bring in other things to to do all that. Um, basically, coil springs have a number of advantages, um, and. You know, it's a brave move when everyone else is stuck with leaf springs and whilst people still, as I said before, still have this perception that leaf springs are more durable and more rugged and able to carry heavier loads. I don't think it's a case, yes, where you can call these types of vehicle a car. I'll stick with convention and call them a vehicle. Yeah. Uh, but I think the Navara has made important movements to achieve a vehicle you can live with and at work and at home. I think it's made some things. Paul, lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. You too, David. Thank you. And that's Paul Morell from practicalmotoring.com.au. We were talking about the Nissan Navara, and you can have a longer interview on from, by going to our website, of which you can podcast as well, at drivenmedia.com.au. Overdrive, answering your questions across Australia. It's that time of the week again where we discuss and ramble on a bit about some unusual stories to do with motoring. And to help me do that, I have on the line Brian Smith. G'day, Brian. G'day, David. And Errol Smith. G'day, Errol. G'day, David and Brian. Now, you, Errol, you have a story which is a update on a subject we touched on a week or so ago. Yeah, well, we covered a bus company in Wales that got all the wrong kinds of publicity for its ad campaign. It's partially dressed models holding signs reading, Ride me all day for three pounds on the back of its buses. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Well, they've responded to the backlash with a tongue-in-cheek response. Their new slogan is, For anyone in the world that missed it, it's three pounds to ride this bus all day. No bus T models to be seen this time. 
<laughs> oh, dear. Uh, Brian, uh, you weren't with us when we first discussed this uh, particular subject. Does it appeal to you, this sort of uh, innuendo advertising? No, it's, it's very cheap, lowest yeah. common denominator stuff. I mean, it's uh, even the, the kind of uh, wink at the controversy was, you know, ha-ha, we, we got away with, um, I guess, suggesting a woman was a prostitute. And then, uh, you know, um, and then, uh, you know, having a win-win from uh, the fact that uh, the, you know, yes. demeaning women. There's no women such thing as a, bad publicity. Yeah, that's right. Good publicity. Well, yeah. well to, to be fair, they also demeaned men and implied they were prostitutes as well. Uh, oh. And and uh, I mean, I'm not, fa- I'm, not fa- I'm not familiar with the costs here, but three pounds sounds fairly cheap to me for either gender. <laughs> I mean, they, they, they said, uh, whilst it was being a little tongue-in-cheek, was in no way intended to cause offence to either men or women. They, they did the old sort of, if you're offended, sorry thing. Now, if the advert yeah. has offended you, yes. then we apologise. Yeah. Yeah. We no, apologise for our bad, bloody, um, you know, our poor hey, judgement. Yeah. Yes. yes. No, no intention <laughs> to objectify either men or women, yet they managed to do both. Yes. Yeah. They said, firstly, we have stated that our objectives have to, uh, been to make catching the bus attractive to the younger generation. How, as I said uh, you know, last time, what, school children? Is, yeah, is that, that what right. you're aiming at? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. They, they also said, while being a little tongue-in-cheek, I thought that might be trying to be clever as well. Well, they, um, life has given them lemons, David, and they've made lemonade, haven't they? <laughs> They've made publicity out of it. All right, a cheap chat-up. Brian, you have a story which, again, touches on a little bit of feedback. Uh, we've touched on this subject to some degree uh, a little while ago. We have, David. Reuse of, um, of sort of old and disused um, uh, underground railway stations like the Tube. Now, um, <coughs> in London, this is an interesting uh, story. A disused uh, underground railway station uh, called Down Street near uh, Mayfair in London. Um, it uh, opened in 1907, but it closed in 1937. Uh, and after that, it was used for a period of time uh, by Winston Churchill and the Cabinet as a safe place to conduct business during the Blitz air raids in the early years of the 1940s. Um, so uh, London Rail is looking for ways to reuse um, these sites. And so they want to have parts of it for um, historical tours. <coughs> Pardon me. And also lease some of it out for commercial use. It's uh, a couple of stations in um, uh, in London, an unused part of a Clapham North station, has become an underground urban farm. I, I guess that means a, a mushroom farm. Yes. And uh, a char- tunnel at Charing Cross um, that had been used as a James Bond set is uh, hosting cinema screenings. Um, I think these are good ideas, David, particularly something with a bit of heritage and history like... Um, uh, yeah, this Churchill. Uh, Churchill thing at the um, Down Street Station. Do you go and look for artefacts like gin bottles and cigar <laughs> butts? Cigar butts. Certainly you could scatter <laughs> some around, couldn't you, to attract yeah. people down there? Well, they talk about having tours down there to have a look at it, but also giving some of the space in the what used to be where Churchill went to commercial enterprises. I hope they don't get into that sort of tacky sort of um, souvenir shop for that, you know, you get a genuine cigar butt from Winston <laughs> Churchill. What about a German restaurant, David? 
That could be good. <laughs> yeah, pork knuckles and the alternate yeah. history of uh, the end of the Blitz. The, the station is equipped with with a kitchen, a dining room, and a bathroom used by Churchill. So you could go to the loo that Churchill used. And hope that he flushed. <laughs> Depends West whether he used it like for... a, a typical rail station passenger. It's been sitting there for um, 70 years. So. Yeah. Or you could do what all the other tube users do, and that's just use any abandoned corner as a toilet. <laughs> it would certainly be a place for you know where you could sell alcohol and have smoking, wouldn't it? That would that would be totally appropriate. Of course, it, Churchill got around a bit. Eh? He went to the Cuban War of Independence, I think, not not to fight, but just to be an observer from the British Empire. So that's where he got his love of cigars. He went to India, so he'd have a pith helmet that might be on the uh, there or South Africa have spears on the wall. Back from that time, I'm not being. Um, racist or uh, that at the moment. Um, yeah, it, 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 you never know what you might be out there. Have a have a picture him of, of him on the wall when he was seven, dressed in a sailor's suit. The interpretive oh, stuff. Now, he, of course, also uh, served in the trenches in World War One a hundred years ago or so. Mm. Yes, some, that's right. Some great history there that could be interpreted as the rumble of the trains go past. <laughs> I love the bit about the James Bond film set which is now hosting cinema screenings. I love the idea of M in a secret bunker. You know, that just seems right to and me. And Q, you know, pay attention, 007. Yes, all the Turn your mobile phone technical. off. <laughs> <laughs> there was a story recently on television about under Sydney there are some disused tunnels. Yes, I've been in some were... of them, David. Mm, mm, the really? Old, old, uh, around uh, sort of Museum Station, there's... Uh, some tunnels there that were used uh, as air raid shelters during the war. Yeah, they, they said that, that there, some of the tunnels were intended for the railway line to go to Bondi, mm. and uh, I think also the ones to go up into the Manly Warringah Peninsula. But they said there were several feet of concrete or a large amount of concrete on the front. I love it, though. They were walking through it with a television crew, and there were tree roots Tree roots coming through. down from the ceiling, yes. And they've kind of got blast doors, haven't they, where you have to walk around them. Um, yes. Yeah, I, I, we crept down in there many years ago when I was a teenager. They're a fascinating experience. All right, <laughs> gentlemen, lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much for your You're time. You're welcome, David. And that's Errol Smith and Brian Smith, and we were talking some quirky news to do with motoring and transport. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Errol Smith, Brian Smith, Brent Davidson, Paul Morell and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive is syndicated to stations across Australia on the Community Radio Network. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 